Praise the Lord, everybody. I may love Jesus tonight. That he loves us. He's here to do good things. Thank you, Jesus. We um, appreciate your wonderful pastor again, his wife and family. These are beautiful people. And uh, God's been good. He has been utterly, tremendously, gloriously good. And uh, uh, good to see Brother Mead. I hadn't seen him for a while. Our paths cross every once in a while. Good to see you. God bless Brother How. You're doing a great job over there. I hear tell. And God bless you. I'm so, I've known you since you was a kid. Thank God. You knew me when I was skinny. <laughs> Amen. So we just thank God. How many, how many are uh, glad you got a good pastor? Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. While we're standing, I'd like for us to turn to the book of Luke chapter 21. While you're turning there, I apologize. I meant to be here uh, earlier for prayer than I was. I... Uh, I put in the address your pastor gave me, and my GPS started taking. I thought, I didn't remember going this way last night. But I trusted my GPS, and I ended up going down the street. I'm looking at these houses. I said, this looks familiar. And I realized it was your pastor's house. <laughs> I rang the doorbell three times. Nobody answered. Uh, that part, last part was a joke. But anyway, so then I went to an earlier text, and, and here we are. Praise God. So we thankful. And kind remarks. Thank you, kind remarks about the books. I was teasing last night about McDonald's and Walmart, just in case you tried. And... Um, I, I do, this is not a joke, I'm serious about this. I do give refunds if you buy any of those books, well, exception. Four of those books I give refunds on. If you don't like them, I will refund your money. Okay, I'm serious. The book about what a difference a line can make is about holiness and I give no refunds on that. <laughs> I, a lot of, I'd be giving a lot of refunds in a lot of places, but not here, I believe, praise God. But anyway, God bless you. And uh, tonight I'm going to, I'm doing something different than I've done for a little while. And, and I know you're standing and I apologize, but in, in September 13th of 2019, the Lord answered a prayer that I had been uh, praying for 45 years about. And... Uh, and he put it on my heart to preach that everywhere I went. So and even with COVID, I've preached it 41 times. And this afternoon, I just I was going to preach it here, and I just kept feeling, feeling tugged the other direction. So I, I know this. I, if you're going to preach with him or without him, you better go with him. Praise God. So... Uh, 
sitting up here feeling after God and, and I just feel like God wants us to go here. I feel like he wants to talk to us. Luke 21, beginning with verse number 26. Luke 21, beginning with verse 26. Nice, wonderful start out with encouraging words. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Your redemption draweth nigh. Let's ask God together that he would talk to us. We are in momentous times, but I, I'm just telling you, I believe the church's greatest hours are ahead of us. And I mean that with all of my heart. Lord God, gracious God, anoint us. Minister our, to our hearts and our minds and our souls. You have called us for this hour, and what an honor to serve you at any time, but that you, God, in these last days would choose us to take you by the hand and to reach into the harvest fields and to see your grace and glory and magnificence. So we trust you and we love you. We commit this service and our lives into your hands. In Jesus' name, anoint us, God, everyone in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you so very, very much. You may be seated. Now, I'm not going to rehearse. I think we're all pretty well familiar with the hours we live in. I, I talked about it somewhat last night. Part of our concerns, as I said, is that we love our country. But, um, you know, when an eagle is going to teach the eaglets how to fly, they're natural-born flyers, but like everything else, it has to be developed. Um, and eagles' nests are uh, very well done. They know evermore how to build a nest, as most birds that build nests do. But... Um, they say that for the eaglets, they're actually very comfortable. They, uh, because of high mountains, where most eagles are, they are they're warm, especially, of course, when the mother's there. But even when not, each other, they warm each other, and there's a lot of the feathers and even a type of, feels almost like down, etc. But when she get, they come to a certain point, She's going to teach them how to fly. She will put them on one by one. Um, I've never watched this done, so I don't know how they do it, but they, I know what I read. And uh, she'll get an eaglet on her back, and she'll take off. That'd be quite a ride. And then she'll go out from under it, and that bird will fall or fly. And... Um, it's sure flapping like crazy, I'm sure. And if she sees it ain't working this time, she'll fly under it and catch it 
on her back. Precision. And take it back to the next. And then go to the next uh, would-be flyer. And, and that's the, the process. But part of what she's doing at the same time in those days is she's taking feathers and soft, comfy things out of the nest so that it's becoming a little, little more uncomfortable. And after a while, those eaglets say, Mom, what are you doing? And they go to sit down, and it's not as comfortable as it used to be. And so the process is she's, she's letting them know flying is not so bad because this nest ain't going to get better. And um, so that's, that's part of the process. I cannot help but feel that a lot of the things that are happening is for the sake of his church. And I mean that. There's only two things God's really interested in. And that's the church in Israel, as we made mention last night. He's not interested, I'm not interested in making anybody a Republican or a Democrat. I want to see people become one God, Jesus' name, apostolic children of God. And that's his interest as well. So our text, we're not going to belabor it. It pretty much speaks for itself. Um, the entire chapter of the book of Luke is um, it's, it's, it's a series, not necessarily, I think, totally chronological. I don't know that, but um, he can, he can, God's big. You know, he can, he can slip all kinds of stuff into a, in between two verses. I got my own outlooks of Genesis 1 and 2, and I think first, between verse 1 and 2, there's quite a bit that he slips in there. But that's just my opinion. I don't know that. I wasn't there, praise God. When I get to heaven, I'll find out. So, at any rate, as you read it, there's a whole lot of, a host of things, and he's, he's, he's working his way to the end of that discourse and he's saying, it's going to be an interesting world we live in, and people's hearts will fail them looking after the things which are coming on the earth. Now, America's not the only place in trouble. The world's in trouble. And as I said last night, it's screaming that Jesus is coming. Now, down through history, uh, there's been a lot of times and places in the road of history where Nations and peoples got in trouble. One of the most pathos-filled recent was in the last century when the world was considered the most civilized that it had been ever since it came into being. And, uh, and yet they managed through wars to take out over 100 million people in the 20th century. And... Uh, of course, World War II uh, was, was the big get-go for life snuffing, as we talked about last night. A bad year, they say the worst year in the 20th century was 1940. Historians say that was the low water mark of uh, world history. And one of the lowest months was June of 1940. What had been building up and taking place was Nazi Germany, Hitler with 33% of the national vote became um, chancellor, 
and then he, he uh, the Reichstag caught on fire. They declared emergency powers, and he took over everything. Began his process of testing the waters of persecution, and the first peoples that he persecuted was not the Jews. He was he was seeing what reactions he would get, so he he persecuted the Jehovah Witnesses. They were the first. And the reason he started with them, historians say, is because Jehovah Witnesses were neither Lutheran, this is Martin Luther's Germany, they were neither Lutheran or Catholic, and he began persecuting them and he got away with it. So one thing would lead to another. By 1936, he had taken the Rhineland back. 1938, he... He, he took over Austria and Czechoslovakia. The world was aghast. Uh, Chamberlain from Britain made his peace treaty, and a man named Winston Churchill growled like a mad dog. In 39, he signed a non-aggression pact in August with Soviet Union, who they hated each other's guts, but they did that so that the next month they both could take and overrun Poland and carve it up like a pie. So the Allies, they quickly gathered. The Nazis was hungry, joined them. They didn't win them, they joined them. Italy joined them, Bulgaria joined them, Romaria, Rom, uh, Romania joined them. They overran by June of 1940 Denmark. They overran Norway, and then by June, France had fallen. And Britain, <coughs> excuse me, was absolutely, completely alone. They had not one ally except Canada and Australia, which were not exactly superpowers. India wanted free of them, but there were some people they'd fight. That was it. So that month of May, a 65-year-old man named Winston Churchill became the prime minister. And uh, he's one of the most interesting characters uh, in my mind in history, certainly the 20th century by far, by far, number one. And uh, by the age of 25, he was born in the late 1800s, by the age of 25, he had published five books. He had written 215 newspaper magazine articles. Before he would die, Winston Churchill would write more words than William Shakespeare and Charles Dickens combined. In the Great Boer War, which the world 20th century was starting out with a, with a brutal, bloody war between South Africa and Great Britain, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle made the statement about a boy that was 25 that he was the greatest living master of English prose at 25. He participated in the last great cavalry charge of history. He made a daring escape from a prisoner of war camp. He fought on more continents than any soldier in history except for Napoleon. 
He had been at 25 involved in as many military campaigns as any living general. He was a brilliant man. There was a historian named Thomas Babington Macaulay and, and, and church, I, just bear with me, we're headed somewhere. Uh, Churchill, he respected Macaulay. He didn't like him because he threw his, um, his uh, the Duke of uh, Wellington, I mean, excuse me, the Duke of Marlborough, his ancestor under the bus and um, historically. So he wrote a major, major tome to clear um, the Duke of Marlborough's name. Uh, Churchill would have been the Duke of Marlborough. He would have. He would have inherited Blenheim Palace because the Duke of Marlborough uh, at that time when he was young was 70 plus years old and had never had a child, never had a son. And so Winston Churchill was next in line to become the Duke of Marlborough. But the old man after 70 had a boy. And uh, Churchill lost out. The problem was if he'd have become the Duke of Marlborough, he could have never become prime minister. And that would have been a catastrophe. He was brilliant. He didn't like Macaulay. But he uh, memorized his poem, Horatius at the Bridge. It's 3,191 words long. Churchill could quote it by heart. It took 20 minutes. He could do it even when he was an old man. He was a brilliant man. Like Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Lord Horatio Nelson, and others, he had an un, and listen closely, believable sense of destiny. Destiny. And church, please hear me. We need to start realizing there is a destiny on us. Young people, you didn't just stumble in here. There is destiny at our doorstep. When Churchill was 16 years of age, 16, he wrote a letter to a friend, Merlin Evans. They'd been to Harrow together. This is what he said. They have the letter. I quote it to you. I can see the vast changes. This is in the 1800s. I can see the vast changes coming over a now peaceful world. Great upheavals, terrible struggles, wars, plural, such as one cannot imagine. And I tell you, London will be in danger. London will be attacked. And I shall be very prominent in the defense of London. I see into the future. This country will be subjected somehow to a tremendous invasion. By what means, I do not know. They hadn't invented airplanes when he wrote this. But I tell you, I shall be in command of the defenses of London, and I shall save London and England from disaster. Dreams of the future are blurred, but the main objective is clear. I repeat, London will be in danger, and in the high position I shall occupy, it will fall to me to save the capital and save the empire. This was the man that had a lot against him. He was born two months premature, had three car crashes, 
Once he was hit by a car in New York City and knocked quite a ways through the air. Lived to tell about it. He was, in, he was concussed for days after jumping 30 feet off of a bridge. He was staying in a house one night that burned to the ground in the middle of the night. He escaped. He very nearly drowned in Lake Geneva. He was stabbed pretty severely as a schoolboy. He had four serious bouts of pneumonia, as well as a series of heart attacks. Some of the people, anyway, they just know he did um, when they looked back at certain portions of his life, but he kept his mouth shut. And though he was not uh, living for God, even by his own, even by Anglican terms, he was not a, a good Anglican. And, uh, but he did feel God had his hand on him. And uh, he talks of a prayer meeting when he was running for his life from the Boers. And this prayer meeting, the presence of God came in on him. And, um, and from that moment, God began to direct his steps, even when he was three days and nights, 90 feet down in a, in a gold mine, by himself, on a mattress, pitch, 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 pitch black, and rats would come and cover him all night long. Three days and three nights. But he felt like, I'm safe. Amazing man. I'd have lost my mind, actually. Um, so, here's the man. The Almighty had his own purposes to raise him up. He was voted the most important human of the 20th century, more than Albert Einstein, because he saved Western democracy. And yet, in a recent survey, only 13% of British youth from the ages of 16 to 24 even named him as the top, one of the top four prime ministers of the 20th century. And they say, in 80 years, the way it's going, they won't even remember who he is. And he saved the British Empire. His most famous speech was in June of 1940, June 18th. Here's just a part of it. What General Wigand has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire, the whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us, which it was in the, uh, the air attacks that were hideous. Hitler knows that he will have to break us on this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be freed and the life of the world may move forward into broad sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into an abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us, therefore, brace ourselves to do our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last 
for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. Brothers and sisters, I believe that God raised up Winston Churchill. And Great Britain, after the war, was no longer the mightiest empire in the world. Things changed. But he saved. If, if Britain would have fallen, fallen, we'd be speaking German today. All historians agree to that. And uh, he played a key role. America says they won the war because of all the armaments. That's true. Russia said they won the war because four out of five Germans in the war that were killed were killed on the Russian front. And that is true. But Britain won the war because they hung in there at the crucial hour and made a way for the United States and Russia to do their part. But brothers and sisters, we are involved in something, as I said last night, far more important than Great Britain and far more important than the United States of America, though we love it dearly. We are part of a kingdom, the Bible says, of which this thing's growth will never end. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. And we're here on the ground floor. Do you understand? It could be just a few days or months. And think about what we preached last night. Amen. Whereby we could possibly be the beginning of the millennial reign. I don't know when it's going to happen. But, but that's how close we could be. This is the world we're living in. This needs to be our finest hour. If you want to talk about destiny, Winston Churchill may have saved Great Britain, but I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ has saved a number which no man can number out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. Hallelujah. This is what Napoleon Bonaparte said about Jesus. He said, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded empires, but upon what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Brothers and sisters, we've got a great author and finisher of our faith, and he knows what he's doing. Amen. Winston Churchill was a great, great, great writer. Well, I'll tell you something about our great God and Savior. He has authored the world's Greatest selling book ever, ever, ever. Amen. Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities internationally has sold 200 million. The Little Prince, 150 million. J.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit series, 150 million. Hold Your Breath. J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, 120 million. Then There Were None, the single book by Agatha Christie, 100 million. There are 100 million Bibles printed. We're not talking about electronic Bibles. 100 million Bibles are printed every year. And if you're wondering about America being in a mess, it is. But it's also still interesting. Somebody's buying Bibles in America because they sell 25 million Bibles every year just in America. What that means is, brothers and sisters, there is a fertile field out yes. there. There are men and women that are hungry and curious 
And, 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 and they know, they know, they know that society is going to Hades in a hand basket. They do not know. Now, and, and when you throw in Bible apps, it's, it's, it defies understanding how many are being sold. They think that up until 1995, and that's uh, 25 years ago, they estimated that 5 billion Bibles had been sold in this world. So our Savior is a great author. Hallelujah. The great God became our Savior, and he's a great author, and this is a great book. We'll talk about it when I'm done about this beautiful treasure map. Praise God. But I'll tell you something about Jesus. He was both blind and deaf. Isaiah 42, 19 through 21, who is blind but my servant? Or deaf as my messenger that I sent? Who is blind as he that is perfect? The blind is the Lord's servant. This is how Jesus was blind. Seeing many things, but thou observest not. Opening the ears, but he heareth not. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. In other words, there were things that Jesus refused to see and there were things that Jesus refused to hear. And if we're going to walk in his footsteps, folks, there's a lot of stuff you just got to tune out. You just got you just you just got to tune out. If if you're going to keep up with all the news, fix to get depressed. Don't start out your day finding out, oh, have mercy, what, what Congress is doing or not doing, what people are up to, amen. If you, I'm going to tell you the most up-to-date newspaper that doesn't lie is right here. Start out with this. Start out with this. This doesn't mean that we go around willingly ignorant. No, no, no. But I'm going to tell you something. What he has written there is what we, not, we need to pay most attention to. Heaven and earth will pass, pass away, let alone administrations and all kinds of other stuff, amen. But this word will never pass away. We have to, we have to tune in to his voice. We have to see what he wants us to see, amen. And if people think we're blind, honey, we're seeing more than they are. And, and, and we're hearing, we're walking to the beat of a different drum. Amen, because this walk is going to get us out of this world. And people can go with us if they will, but listen. Jesus Christ, while robed, this great God, while robed in flesh, had very selective hearing and seeing. And we must do the same. I'll tell you one thing. When you got a good pastor, listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Amen. And, and how do I say this? I've been, been a lot of places in my lifetime. And I'm totally comfortable saying, hear ye him. Some places it's like. Amen. And I'll give you a quick lesson, just in case you wondered. I can, 
There's three main things God's given us. The word of God, the spirit of God, and the man of God. That's a three main thing. He does, he does stuff with time. He does stuff with health and sickness. He does stuff with blessings. Oh, he, he works a thousand ways. But the three main things is the word of God, the spirit of God, and the man of God. Amen. So if you wonder who has, can have the greatest influence, well, you say, well it's got to be the Bible. Well, I know a lot of one God, Jesus, name apostolics that have this Bible. And at least started out with the same spirit. Why the differences? The man. The man. So when you've got a good pastor, get out of bed and say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for my pastor. Praise God. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So we have to focus on the things of God and focus upon what God has for us. That's the most important thing. It's what does he want? What does he desire for us? And we have to see the condition of lost humanity and the fears that are gripping them to where Jesus said their hearts will be failing them. Our hearts, he said, don't let your hearts fail you. You look up. You're, that's the response you need to have. Your, redemp your redemption's drawing now. Yes. Yes. Amen. So, Paul put it this way. Second, 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, my purview of life, I'm keeping pretty narrow. One puts it this way, for while I was with you, I made up my mind to forget everything except Jesus Christ and especially his death on the cross. So here's the point. We cannot allow ourselves to be distracted. Hallelujah. Churchill led Britain, but Jesus Christ rules it all. And when it comes to governments, he sets up one and puts down another. It states in the book of Daniel, he sets up over the nations the basest of men. That's his business. I mean, he just, he just does what he wants to do. If you're looking for angels in politics, you, baba. Amen. This is why there was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. It's one of the few times ever this was ever given to a human. But God said, you know what? You are a king of kings. Nebuchadnezzar covered the girth of the known civilized, quote, world of which history deals with. But the Bible lets us know when he got to thinking he was something. He was driven from the sons of men. He got the heart of a beast. His dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven and his hair grew until it was like feathers. And he was in that condition and Daniel warned him, watch your step, boy. And, and, and he didn't listen. And for seven years, he was that way. And I, I don't know who was set to guard the king looking like a wet eaglet crawling around eating grass. And but after seven years, one day, he... Have mercy. 
over there? What? What's with this? Good question. <laughs> All we know, he's back on the throne. And he starts writing some letters and saying, everybody, you better start fearing Daniel's God. God can do big things. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows his business. Amen. Before that all happened, when he set up that golden image out on the plains of Shinar, and everybody, when you hear the sounds of the music, everybody's going to bow. And can I tell you, I don't think that was about Nebi, and I don't think it was about the golden image, and I don't think it was about all those Jews that bowed. It was about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Some have said, well, where was Daniel in all that? Where was Daniel? Well, I'll tell you where Daniel was. I feel like God showed me one day where he was. I really do. You want to know where Daniel was? He was wherever God wanted him to be. God just didn't want him there. Why didn't God want him there? Because he wanted to see what Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego would do without the pastor looking over his, their shoulder. And they decided, Daniel ain't here, but our God is. And we're not careful to answer thee. Amen. And before it was over, before it was over, amen, Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is writing a letter, and he said, hey, if you don't worship these boys, God, I'll turn your house into a dunghill. Yeah. I can see somebody reading that, saying, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> There's no telling what God can do in these last days. We are witnessing the hearts of men. Men are beginning, some men are getting the hearts of beasts. But that doesn't stop God from being God. I'm here to tell you, God knows his business. And I'm going to stop here and say, the day of Pentecost started out with a rushing mighty wind. The power of God fell and the church exploded. And yes, there was persecution, but it fanned the flames. And I can't believe, God never, he's, his best is always better than the beginning. Yes. Amen. At the feast of Cana, the wedding feast, he turned the water into wine. They said, hey, they always save the trashy wine to the last. Mm -hmm. By the end of one of them feasts, if it's, if, it's, if it's Santa Fe, it's okay. They're so drunk, they don't care. But, well, I mean, that's my opinion. But anyhow... <laughs> Just my thought. So, but the king, the, the governor said, why did you save the best for last? Because that's the way things do with Jesus. The evening and the morning were the first day. Amen. He saves the best for last. That's been his standard. And this, this church is not going to come in like a lion and go out like a whimpering puppy. God's got good things for the people of God in the last days. And we need to recognize, God, you're big. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. The whole underlying theme of the book of Daniel is the sovereignty of God over the affairs of men. 
That's what the book's all about. Amen. And in the book of Esther, Mordecai said to his, we want to say niece, but technically cousin, girl, who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And as far as I'm concerned, if God would have somehow asked Larry Booker, and he didn't, but somewhere said, okay, here's the panorama of all history. Pick the time you would like to live. The only time in history that slightly even tempts me was when that three and a half year period of time that Jesus walked on earth. But I wouldn't do that if I didn't know what I know now. Because if I didn't know then what I know now, I'd be like everybody else. What do you say? What do you suppose he means by that? What's he talking about? Don't say you're going to die. I'd have been, we'd have been like everybody else. So of all the panorama of history, I'm sorry. I would say right now. Right now. To me is the greatest time for a one God Jesus name apostolic to be in this world is right now in our days and the days ahead. Challenges, yes. Opportunities, endless. No telling what God's going to do. No telling how it's going to play out. I have said for years that God, before it was over, I've just, that God was going to give a revelation of the name of Jesus and his nature and the oneness of God before he comes. I can't help. I believe that because, and is everybody going to get it? No. Some people are going to fight it. Of course, they always have. Amen. But there are hungry people out here, folks. And they're not happy about what's happening to their churches. They're not happy about where they're going. Amen. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't hardly ever call a name of a deal. But, but if, if you were a Methodist and you heard a Methodist minister say amen and a woman while praying to Congress, I'd say, why am I a Methodist? Why am, I, why am I still a Methodist? There's people, they're not happy with all this stuff. And I'm going to tell you something. They're watching us more and more and more and more and more. There was a, there was a, a denominational leader that called me. I won't go into the long story, but he called me several years ago. And uh, I had met his predecessor. He's over 1,600 churches in, in Southern California. And they're, quote, Pentecostal. Only 12% of the people have the Holy Ghost, though. But he said, have you ever considered allowing your son to leave Rialto and pastor somewhere? I said, he has a wide open door. This is before he was pastor of our church. I said, he has a wide open door. He's been offered churches. I told him, if you feel it, you can do it. He's, he's so far as refused, but, but he knows he has a wide open door. He said, would you allow him to pastor one of our churches? 
I said, do you know who we are? He said, I know more about your church than you do. He said, I know more about the WPF than you think. He said, we watch you folks very closely. And if you'd allow your son to pastor one of our churches, I could put him in one of ten that are wide open today. Now that's pretty trippy to use old hippie slang, praise God. And I said, well, I'll talk to him, and I talked to him. And, I, and uh, I said, you know what you'd have to do in a big job? And he said, that, that is not for me. But I'm just telling you that to tell you, people know who we are. And you better believe they're watching us. And I'm going to tell you something about your church that you may not realize. But in, in denominal circuitry, it, already the banking industry is watching very, very closely. And, 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 a, and a, a high-ranking official in a bank that's, that's part of a hooked up with a national bank, he said, we're watching this business with COVID very, very closely. He said, you're going to be able to have your pick of church buildings before it's over because these denominal, he didn't say the word denominal, he said these people are not coming back. Most of their Sunday morning services are social. And they've realized they can do other things on Sunday mornings besides go to church. And they're going to be losing buildings left and right. We're already watching it. Well, our churches are getting bigger. In the midst of COVID, this church has grown. And I know churches, one God, Jesus name, apostolic churches all over this country said, man, our finances are up, man. We're getting more people. We got new people coming all the time. And your pastor knows when I, when I go out and about, I rarely ever, and this is, I rarely ever talk about our church. I'm serious. But if you're wondering if people are hungry about Bible studies, our church right now is teaching over 170 Bible studies. There's 90 people that are teaching Bible studies, and that means there's 250-some people that are getting Bible studies, they're hungry. They want to know. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, this is our hour. And you say, but I don't know enough. I don't know enough to teach a Bible study. Did you know that the Barna Group did a study over 50 years ago, and they said the average American adult knew as much about the Bible as the average American 12-year-old? And do you think they've learned much more Bible in the last 50 years? You say, I don't, hey, we know, we get, we, we get more on a Sunday morning than some churches get in six months. That's churches, let alone people out there. I'm telling you, it's a wide open field. We, our, our nation is as wide open as any foreign field in, America, in the world. Our field is as ignorant of the Bible as any in the world. And they're scared, and they're hungry, and this needs to be our finest hour. Our finest hour. You may be seated. Hallelujah. This is why it speaks of our spiritual forefathers, those who went before us, who through faith <clears throat> subdued kingdoms, 
wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, <clears throat> excuse me, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. They wanted a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mocking, scourgings, bonds, and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn asunder, tempted, slain with a sword, wandered in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Listen, God having provided some better thing for us that they, without us, should not be made perfect. We, I made mention of it, were the last act. The world is a stage, and we're the last act of the church stepping onto the stage of saying we know who he is. We know what his name is. We know how many gods there are. We know the name, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We know the plan of salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that is fulfilled through our death, our burial, and our resurrection, which is done in repentance, buried with him in baptism, and rising to walk in the newness of life. When we receive the same spirit that raised him from the dead, we call it the Holy Ghost. Praise God. That message is awesome. And I'll give you that message I got on September 13th, 2019, right now, in about 60 seconds, amen. Jesus said of John the Baptist, of men born of women, there's none greater than John. He didn't say John was the greatest prophet. He said Moses was not greater than John. Isaiah was not greater than John. Amen. Jeremiah was not greater than John. Elijah and Elisha was not greater than John. But in spite of all their miracles... Moses writes 125,000 words, Isaiah 29,000, Jeremiah 36,000, Ezekiel 29,000. Moses brings out a nation with miracle after miracle after miracle, the miracles of Elijah, the double portion of spirit that Elisha had, and the Bible tells us basically John wrote nothing, did no miracles, and count up the words he spake. 585, most of them repetitious. And Jesus said, they're not greater than John. Well, what made John great? The only thing that could have been, behold the lamb. That's the one right there. This is the Messiah. This is the one that will bruise Satan's head, Eve. This is the prophet that Moses spoke of. This is the one that would come through Bethlehem. This is the one of the seed of David. This is the one that Isaiah said would be born of a virgin. This is him. Amen. That message alone is the only thing that made John so great. Everybody here that's 12 years old, raise your hand. Everybody that's 12 years old and under, and under that you can quote Acts 2.38, stand up. I take it, 
that all of you can do it. And you're going to speak for all of them. Give it to us. Then, Peter. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In. <laughs> Nothing like not having a spotlight on you. <laughs> In the name. In the name of Jesus Christ for the missions of sins. And you shall be baptized. You shall receive. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For. This is 39. For. The promise. For the promises unto them. You. For his promises unto you and unto your children to and, to, and to all that are far off. Even. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Listen to me. You see these young people? I'm not saying they're the least in this church. I believe all you young people are paying tithes, but you're probably not paying as much as others in this church. I believe... All of you do work around this church somehow, but I doubt you're ready to build a building yet. But what this young man just quoted, Jesus said, and he says what he means, and he means what he said, he that is least in the kingdom is greater than John. So if the least is greater than John, and Moses is not greater than John, but the least in the kingdom is greater than John. The least in the kingdom is greater than Moses. The least in the kingdom is greater than Isaiah. I'm not saying better. I'm saying greater. Greater. What made John so great? He wrote nothing, did no miracles. He preached six months. Isaiah preached 65 years. Jeremiah over 40. Moses over 40. He preached six months, wrote nothing, 585 recorded words. And nobody's greater. The message made him great. What do we have that makes us great? It's the message God gave us. This is our finest hour. He that's least in the kingdom is greater. You may be seated, except you, young man. And when you cross the river, maybe you're preaching this gospel in a foreign nation or in L.A., and somebody takes you out, and Moses sees you, and Isaiah and Elijah and Elisha, and Zechariah, and Daniel, and John the Baptist. I'd have given anything to live when you lived. I'd have given anything to be able to have the message you have. I'd have bet anything to have what God gave you. This is our finest hour and what God's given us. Listen, he wants to spread it through this world. How far will God go? What all will he do? How great is this God? He's a mighty God. I'm going to wrap this up. Things God does. You can be seated, son. 
This church knows Brother O.C. Marler. O.C. Marler told me this story. I said, Brother Marler, why have I never heard this? He said, he calls me Larry. He said, I very, very, very rarely ever tell it, even to individuals. I said, why? He said, I don't know. He says, it's like some, there's unbelief and people want to think I'm bragging, but he said, I promise you it happened. It was in the 60s. He was pastoring in Dallas, started that church, doing a great work. And in the Parkland Hospital, the, the hospital where Kennedy died, November 22nd, 1963. It was a few later, years later after that. And those were different days when it comes to hospitals. I remember when I was a kid going into hospitals and nurses would be smoking. Literally. I've been in hospital rooms where doctors would be smoking and talking to their patients. Well, the world's spun a few times. And uh, anyway, he, there was a woman in his church, she called, I don't remember if it was her son, but it was some relation, it was a young man that was covered, his body was covered with third degree burns. And she said, he's in Parkland Hospital, is it possible you could go pray? He said, yes, I will go pray for him. So he said, he's, he's walking down the corridor to the room where he was, and the doctors were working on him. He said, he said, I was a good ways away, and I could hear the screams, the screams, as they were doing what they could for this man. And the screams were hideous, and they were all surrounding him, and, and it was a different world, and he, he came and stood there, and somebody looks at him, and he said, excuse me, he said, I'm a preacher, and whatever relation she was has asked me if I could pray for him. Well, we're working, we're working. He said, if I can just reach a hand in and pray for him. Yeah, okay, so the doctor scooted a little bit, and he's, I don't know if he touched him on his body or the blanket or what he did, but he stuck his arm in there. They're working, and the guy's screaming, oh, and Brother Marler begins praying for him in the name of Jesus. Help. Oh, God! And every doctor and every nurse stopped. He said, the pain's gone. He said, the pain is gone. And they're looking, and they look at Brother Marler. And he said, God's good. He said, the pain is gone. They said, well, listen, we have to continue working. I said, yeah, okay, whatever. So they're working. Brother Marler slipped out. He said, I'll see you. I'll come back tomorrow. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So the next day, I'm just telling you, we're in the end times, folks. There's no telling what God can do. I'd like for a musician to come, please. So the next day, he was back. He's walking down the corridor. And he goes by a waiting room, and the waiting room is a large number of people in there. 
And he walks by and he sees them all in their different groups. But somebody points at him. And he looks around and he keeps walking. And then he, he hears behind him, sir, sir, sir. And they're filing out of that waiting room. Sir, are, are, you, the, are you the preacher? Are you the preacher that prayed for the boy that was burnt? He said, yes. And they're starting to come up to him to get there. My wife's in ICU. She's not expected to live. Would you pray for my wife? Somebody else, my son has been in a car wreck. He's about to die. Can you pray for my son? Somebody else, my sister's had, a, and there are all these people. Please, can you come? Can you come and pray? He said, Brother Booker, he said, there's at least 10 needs there these people represented. He said, well, he said, of course I'll pray for him. Well, things were different in those days, but ICU is still ICU. And so as they, when they, doctors and nurses realized, we got a crowd of people want to come in here to ICU and go around. They said, no, no, it's not going to happen. So the doctors and nurses, they're resisting. You can't bring in people. This is ICU. This ain't going to work. But these people, that's my son. That's my wife. Do you understand? You talk about my mother. And, and OC, Brother Marler, realized this is not going to be good. He said, I understand, doctors. I understand. He said, folks, let's step back. He said, everybody has to do their job. Words to this effect, nothing can stop God from doing his job. He said, we're all going to pray right now. He said, what's your need? What's your son's name? Steve or whatever. What's your wife's name? Mary. And getting, everybody, please try and remember these names. Now everybody, this is all, this is all, everybody, husbands, wives, hold hands. Ladies, hold hands. Men, put your hand on the shoulder by somebody. We're all going to pray together. We're going to call these names. If when I'm done, we miss a name, you say, you missed my daughter's name. We'll get them all prayed for. We're going to pray together. He said, Brother Booker, while we're praying, you can feel God. You can feel God. And these people, they don't know nothing. What do they know about the Bible? All they know is they got somebody sick, somebody dying, somebody hurt, somebody bleeding, and they're scared. And they're praying. He said, I'll be back tomorrow. He said, Larry, when I got there the next day, listen to me, folks. They were all waiting for me. Every single one of those people had been totally healed. Said the doctors, the nurses, the people, the patients. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how it's all going to play out. I said it last night. This is not the night in time for us to be wringing our hands. This is where we're supposed to be stretching out our hands and saying, I don't got all the answers. I don't know. But I know. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine. I know somebody that can help you. I know somebody's got some answers. 
I know somebody help you sleep at night. Let's stand. Well, who is it? You want to meet him? Yeah, I want to meet him. Who is it? Come to my church. And you can say this. You come to church with me and you will feel him. He said, I've been to churches before. No, 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 no. Listen to me. You come to this church and you will feel him. And you can find him. You don't have to spend the rest of your life wringing your hands and full of fear and doubt because there's a Savior and he's coming again. And you can go with him like by the grace of God. We're going with him. This is our hour. This is our, and it's meant to be our finest hour. And if there's anybody that knows it's going to, the world's going to Hades in a handbasket. And you want to be part of the solution to bring and deliver the hope that God gave you. I made mention of this last night. I think it's time to pray again. Courage and boldness. Courage and boldness. Spin it with faith, courage, and boldness. But Jesus, let people approach me. Let coworkers ask me, how are you handling all this? Your answer is, well, I don't enjoy this more than anybody, but I'm gonna tell you how I handle it. I'm getting out of here. What do you mean you're getting out of here? You're gonna, you're gonna move to California? Not hardly. <laughs> where, are you going? where are you going? Where are you going? I'm going up yonder. Oh, you're one of them? Oh yeah, and I'm more one of them than I've ever been. And I'm happier that, I'm happier right now that I'm one of them than I've ever been. I'm more excited about being one of them than I've ever been. And I got a suggestion for you. You need to become one of them too. I got a friend you need to meet. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, this is our hour. This is our hour! And I'm closing with, I'm sitting in an airport and I'm reading my Bible. And there's an older couple. They said, are you a pastor? I said, I was the church I'm part of for 20 years. I said, my son is actually pastor now. I'm, they call me bishop, and I, I travel and I preach at home. Is your church having church? Yes, yes, we are. I wish we'd have church. Not only do we not have church, our pastor don't even see me arrested and having church. All he wants to do is sip his coffee while he talks to us over the computer. Said he don't even take calls. He don't visit nobody. And I'm gonna tell you. And I said, well, by the grace of God, yeah, we have church. Where are you, pastor? Well, I don't pastor, but we're in California. California? You're in California and you have a church? Yes. By the grace of God. 
and we just happen to be fortunate, our local sheriff, our police, our mayor, and our city council. They really, one thing they like us, they really do. But that's not why they did what they did. They let it be known we're not enforcing anything that's not constitutional. We'll teach, but we ain't enforcing. And still, we're one of the few that's having church. And our church is growing, like your church is growing. People are, it's our hour, it's our hour. This is meant to be our finest hour. So I'm done. But if in these days there is a sense of destiny, let it settle in on you. I can do something for him. You can use these lips. You can use these hands. You can use these feet. You can, you can, I can make calls. I can do something. Amen. And you want to be used in part. Whatever you got, just do it. If you want that, I think right now is the time just to start letting him know. Here I am. If you want to come up and let him know, that's fine. If you want to stand where you're at, that's your business. That's fine. But, but God, I want you to use me. I want you to use my family. I want you to use us. This is meant to be our finest hour. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. God's in this house. God's here. He loves this cities. He loves this church. He loves the people living in the country. He wants them saved. Oh, that's it. That's it. Yes, 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 yes. young man. That's it, young lady. That's it, sir. That's it, ma'am. Come on. That's exactly right. God's hearing. God's planning. God's moving. He's preparing our tomorrows.
Everybody keep praying, but I want to tell you something. My granddaughter two years ago, a little over two years ago, hit by a drunk, four times more intoxicated than he should have been. He was going 60 to 70. He knocked her 93 three feet through the air. Half her clothes flew off of her. She was 14 and she landed on her head. They would not let my son ride in the ambulance because they said, we don't want this man to watch his daughter die before his eyes. She was in the hospital. Not one doctor was given a word of hope. It was hideous. And there she was, also deeply sedated, let alone us not knowing what all. And with a girl we didn't know would live, have a brain, be a vegetable, walk again, or be confined to wheelchairs. God knew we didn't have no idea. Well, the people, well, the families gathered around the bed. All of a sudden, we hear her. There's a miracle in this place. She starts singing right where you were. And when she was singing that, we knew she was going to be okay. And today she's fine. The entire hospital called her the miracle girl. The people that picked her up came and got their picture taken. Hey, we are living in the end times. God can do anything. That's it. That's it. God, use us. Use us.
Yeah.